knowledge and truth. And one of the things that I'm passionate about for my kids, for my relationship, and for us is that we learn how to take knowledge and truth and apply it to the specific areas of our lives. Because when we do that, that's called wisdom. Then we know how to live wisely. And a wise life is a life that is flourishing. It is a life that is full of an abundance that God brings to us. And so tonight, we are going to add some knowledge and some truth to the topic of insecurity. And hopefully we can find the wisdom that we need to navigate what for all of us is a difficult word, topic, experience. We've all felt it. We've all distracted ourselves from feeling it. I think we've probably all denied feeling it at times. For me, it can range from anything from a lifestyle of insecurity to regular bouts of insecurity. And by that, I mean when you see that person or you're in that friend group or you're in that family function, it'll flare up. And sometimes it kind of blindsides us. That's kind of my story tonight. I found myself in a new place of insecurity, one I had not been in before or had not remembered being in. And I got curious. What is under this? And why now? And in his usual generous, gentle fashion, the Holy Spirit will begin to instruct if we begin to inquire. Insecurity, what is it? What causes me to move from security to insecurity? And when I'm in a space of feeling insecure, how do I get back over here again? It's not a one-size-fits-all. I think there are different reasons for insecurity. But what I want to talk about tonight is some of the things that God has shown me about this particular episode, we will call it, so I want to talk about insecurity in light of fear. Fear is the sickness that brings insecurity. But I began to see that it is also the cure to get us out of insecurity. So before we get into it, I want to go ahead and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to touch each one of us where we need to hear from him tonight. So Jesus, I ask that as we dig into the things that you have shown me. I know you've already prepared the hearts. I've already asked for that. And so I pray that you would open the ears and open the eyes and open the hearts of all who are here so that we can receive the word that you have for us and move forward in wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you in here choose a word at the beginning of the year? I'm just curious. Does anyone choose it? <laughs> One person. I chose a word. You chose a word. Do you guys, are you comfortable sharing what your words are? No. Yes. Bridget, what was your word? What was it? Trust and obey. I like that. They have more, maybe, cheerfulness to them than my word. In fact, I told a few friends the other night what my word was, and I think I got, like, some mockery. They're like, what were you doing choosing that word? I don't know. So last fall, 
I began praying, and in the fall I get excited because I'm kind of tired of my word. Like, I've gone in deep, I've lived it all year, I'm ready for the new word. You know, you get excited about new things, or at least I do. And I only had one word, and it kept nagging me and pestering me as I prayed for it. And the word is change. And as I told my friends this, they were like, what were you thinking? I don't know. I don't know, but it literally was the only word I could think of. It. I was jazzed. I was excited. I had my journal. I got the little butterflies. I put them on the outside because, you know, butterflies are like, yeah, change, you know? The old thing becomes a new thing. The metamorphosis. It's all the stuff, right? So January hits, and I'm buckled up. Like, that change is there. It is at my door. Only I find that I need more than a seatbelt. I am really click, click, click at the top of a roller coaster. I hate heights. And every time I've been in that space, I think pretty much the same thing. What am I doing here? And that fear and that what have I done and that change and being buckled in for the ride of your life. As I prayed for change and walked toward change, the new year brought rapid change. And God is so good to have given me that word because in a way he was preparing me. I had a friend and then I didn't, just like that. That's how my year started. Let me describe this friend, it was like one of my best friends and we worked out and we worked on projects and we hung out and we laughed until we cried. And when we weren't hanging out, we'd send pictures of what we were doing so the other person could see what we were doing when we weren't hanging out. We'd send pictures of what we were eating or what we wish we were eating or what the kids were doing or shouldn't have been doing and the pets and how they were getting into trouble. We did projects, we shopped together, we went on trips together. We had our code, there were things that we expected of each other things that we would work for, things that we would rely on for each other. Our friendship was fun and it was real. It was tough at times, but we would work through it. That was part of our code. We agreed that we would always speak truth to each other. And she told me repeatedly, I have your back, I'll always love you, and I'm never going anywhere. And then it was done, it was over. It was finished. I had said a thing that I couldn't unsay and I couldn't undo. No matter what I did, I moved toward it again and again and again. And every time I moved toward it, it couldn't be undone. So then I moved into acknowledging and accepting. And I began allowing myself to go through a grieving process. And in that grieving process, there was a change. I became very aware that I felt something that I hadn't felt with my people, with my friends, with my relationships. It was new territory for me. I love people. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of close and strong friendships. I'm fairly resilient, not offended easily. I usually am able to be present with the people that I love. And I generally don't wonder if I'm secure in my relationships. 
But I found myself in this mental space of, do I talk too much? Is it, is it safe to share this? Wait, does she think I'm obsessing because I want to vent about this hurt that I've just had? What if this is more real for me than it is for her? So then I began making a plan because I'm a planner and because I take care of things. So I decided as I struggled in my mind, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep my relationships safe. I can do this. I don't want this to happen again. I need to keep everything safe at a safe distance. And I don't think I should make any new friends because that way I'm safe. I have friends, I'll keep them out here, but new friends, off limits. I have my family, maybe I'll stick with that. I wanted to isolate. I thought maybe I'm too much for people. And as I became aware of these thoughts, I realized, and I talked about it with my counselor, I said, I feel insecure in, in my relationships where I haven't felt this way before. And I told her what I told you, and then Crystal asked me to talk about insecurity. And my counselor loves Jesus. And she said, well, it looks like you're going to hash this one out as you prepare for your talk. And so tonight, I want to share with you the things that God is showing me as I have had conversations with him. They're going to mirror, our conversation is going to mirror these conversations. He's been my helper and my guide. And I want to share a few of the lessons that he has shown me about insecurity. One of the first things that he showed me is that fear gets us into security. And that fear is also the thing that's going to get us out of it. No talk would be complete without a trip to Google. And so I Google. What are the causes of insecurity? Well, I don't think Google gave me all the causes for insecurity, but three that popped up were things like social anxiety, perfectionism, rejection, and I thought, well, sign me up for at least two of those at the moment. I think I feel socially anxious, what I just described, and I definitely felt rejected. I began to see as time went on that there was a little perfection grown in there as well. We'll get to that in a bit. But I want to ask you, if you were to define insecurity, how would you describe it? What are some words that come to your mind? And this is interactive. I really want to hear from you. Yes, feeling of being less than. What is that? Yeah, hiding. Definitely. Not feeling safe. The definition of insecurity from the dictionary is deficient in assurance, which someone just said, beset by fear and anxiety, not confident or sure and not feeling adequately guarded, which you said, safe or sustained. The roots of insecurity are in our identity. Who we believe we are is how we will express our security or our insecurity. And one of the first lessons that the Holy Spirit began teaching me is that if I let other people tell me who I am, 
I will walk in insecurity every time. We walk in insecurity when we allow others to tell us who we are. And Proverbs 29, 25 puts it like this. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. What is the fear of man? What is that exactly? And what does it mean to be in a snare? I like that word snare. It's a trap. I don't know how many of you have watched a, a show called Alone. It's a show where the guy gets dropped off in the wilderness and he has to fend, right? And one thing that is very common in these shows, which I binged watched on vacation last year, thank you very much, is that the animal the, on the ground has a trail that it follows. And it goes and it forages the berries or the leaves or the roots or whatever it eats. But the guy who's there who's been plunked in the wilderness, he's starving. And so he sets a trap called a snare, and it's made out of wire. And so the unsuspecting animal will come through, get stuck, struggle. As he struggles, it tightens, and he's dinner. That is the word that is used when we fall into the fear of man. We fall into a trap, we fall into a snare, that the more we fight with that idea of who we are supposed to be, it's gonna tighten and tighten and tighten. As I dug down farther into this word through my blue letter Bible, it's also likened to a noose, which is, as we all know, a knot. That the more we pull, or the more we fight against, the tighter and tighter it gets. So what does the fear of man have to do with insecurity and how does it get us to that place where we are snared and entrapped? I like how the message puts it. The fear of human opinion disables. How many of us have allowed other people or groups or events define us? I think we're apt to say, nah, I don't do that. But here are some of the ways that over our lifetime, these things add up. I've had people comment on me physically, that I'm too short, that my legs are too skinny. Maybe they've commented on your body. Maybe you're too tall or too short or too fluffy or too skinny. I've heard women say that other women are too fit or not fit enough. Maybe they're wearing the wrong thing. Maybe they buy the wrong brands or we just don't like their style, and we're willing to say it. Maybe your personality, someone has an opinion about that. Too emotional or not emotional enough. Maybe you're too cold, or maybe you're just too sweet, too reserved. You're too outgoing, you're too nice, you're too mean. We grew up in families where people are labeled black sheep or troublemaker. We know there's someone who wasn't wanted, who was an accident. We know that there's another one who's not like her sister or her brother. Or maybe you were the girl when your dad wanted the son. Vocationally, we often are told we choose the wrong things. Who would ever go into that profession? That's too blue collar or white collar. And these narratives can come not only from without, but they come from within. We do it to ourselves. We have experiences and we've made choices 
And with that memory, we have ongoing narratives that we make ourselves. We're harder on ourselves. We forget grace in our own equation. And we create narratives that are not generous and gentle and kind. Things like, why try? You'll probably fail. I have nothing to offer. I'll never have the confidence to do that. I'll look stupid. I'm not going to say anything. And we allow the fear of man to lead us in comparing ourselves to others. Our own opinions are not always rooted in truth, and they become a snare as we assess others in any number of ways as smarter, prettier, more educated, confident, or successful. We walk in condemnation instead of forgiveness. We know on one level, if we confess our sins, that he's going to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can even say that to people and mean it. And we know if we try to repair with the person that we've sinned against that we will have the healing that we're promised in James. But somehow, even after doing those things, we're stuck with this loop, this mindset, this narrative that says, I'm pretty sure you got to do something to go with that. Like penance, or like walking in a constant state of unworthiness and self-condemnation. We choose to allow ourselves to be flogged with residual guilt and inability to receive it. And what about the mental movies? That when you're driving along, all of a sudden you realize, wait, that was 10 years ago. Why is that shame washing over me all over again? And the fear of man doesn't stop with other people's opinions. And it doesn't stop with my own narratives and your own narratives. It can actually take kind of a sinister, positive, affirming role. Someone may tell you, oh, you're always there. I can always count on you. What a blessing you are because of all that you do for others and for us. And so then we fall into the trap, the snare, the noose of people-pleasing saying no when we need to say yes, and saying yes when we know that we should say no. We find ourselves overcommitting when we know we're out of energy and out of bandwidth. In insecurity can look like having a difficult time, having hard conversations, setting healthy boundaries. We're afraid to start in case we fail. We're afraid to quit so that we don't look like a failure. We, be we become insecure in expressing the fullness of who we are. We are insecure to express who we really are, but I want to say more accurately, we are afraid to express who God says we are. And that is the space that we dwell in when we are dwelling in insecurity. We're not comfortable in our own skin, our choices, our actions, who we are, we have believed the narratives and our insecurities run us. We walk in the narratives, the judgments, the assessments, and the opinions of others. And they are a snare. They're a trap. They're a noose. And the more we walk in that, the tighter it gets. 
the news tightens, we become surer of the narratives. And in fact, those narratives that are often lies, lies, they become our truth. And there we are, trapped. And this is where I found myself in that season. I knew I was a failure. I knew that not only had I made a mistake, but I was a failure because I couldn't fix it. I had allowed others to tell me who I was, and I was walking in the snare and trying to get out of it. The next thing that the Holy Spirit showed me is found in Proverbs 14, 26. And it says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Fear gets us into security, but it also gets us back to security. When we walk in the fear of man, we're going to end up in the snare and in the noose. But when we walk in the fear of the Lord, we have strong confidence, which is the opposite of insecurity. What is the fear of the Lord? I've heard people talk about, and I read an article this week, I skimmed it actually. It's awe, it's reverence, it's being humbled by the knowledge of his greatness. Yes, I've heard these things many, many times. But God is showing me right now a nuance of fearing him. Fearing him means being terrified of believing anything that he does not say is true. It is being terrified of walking in any identity that is other than the one that he has given me. I found two examples in scripture that I want to share with you. There are a lot of examples in scripture about men and women who usually did crazy things, and it was because they feared God. So we have people like Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his only son because he feared God. Or we have Sarah who was willing to go into the king's harem twice because she feared God and that's what her husband wanted. But I found two examples that I want to share with you that are different. One of them was from a time in Egypt when the midwives feared God and the king, the pharaoh of that time, had told them, I want every baby boy killed after it's born. But this was their response. They feared God, not Pharaoh, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. God's words were the words that mattered to those women. They were not going to walk in the fear of man. That king, that Pharaoh had their lives in his hand. But they said, nope, God word, God's word trumps your word every time. And had they not done that, Moses wouldn't have been there to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Noah also was one of those who walked in fear of God. He was warned by God about things not yet seen, it says in Hebrews 11. And in reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. In reverence, in fear of God, that man, I think he seemed crazy built an ark where there was nowhere to float it. And it took him years to build that ark. He was crazy. 
But the two things that these outliers have in common in their fear of God is that without that fear, they would have experienced a lot of death. And isn't that how we end up in a snare, in a trap, in a noose? You know, there are a lot of kinds of death, actually. Death isn't just leaving this body. We can live a soul-sucked, purposeless life, and that is a sort of death. We can live in an identity that is not true and walk in lies, and that is a type of death. The fear of God keeps us from that kind of death. These men and women operated in confidence and security. And this was done through the fear of God, not man. They all chose to put God's word above any other word. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, we are told what to do with the things that do not agree with the word of God. It's put very simply, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Whatever argument, whatever pretension, which is a claim or something that is over you that is not true, that sets itself up against what God has already said and who he has already said you are, you got to demolish that. It has to go. And we have the authority and the power to do that. Those things that come our way, those opinions or even those narratives that we generate in our own head, they have no place there. And it's like Meredith said, we have to take every thought captive and build that altar of remembrance so that we can look back by faith at what he has done. I have to tell you about taking every thought captive. It's not for sissies. It's not easy. And I will tell you, the battle that will go on in your mind as you literally try to do that, it is relentless. I have spent seasons of my life, and let me tell you, I'm in and out of one right now, because when we allow our brains to go to that place where we're walking in lies and we have moved, we have moved over to insecurity, we have to dig our way back over there. Because once we have given traction and leash to those thoughts, they have a little bit of a hold. And the longer we stay here, the tighter that hold gets. That's the whole idea of the noose and the snare. One of the things that I've started doing to start demolishing these arguments and these pretensions that set themselves up against what God says is asking a simple question. It's simple. And it goes like this. What is the truth? What is the truth? What is your insecurity? What are you afraid of? What is holding you back? Name that thing and then ask yourself, but more, ask the Holy Spirit, what is the truth? Is it true that 
I am a failure? Is it true that I am condemned? Is it true that I am rejected, unloved, unwanted, not enough, filled with fear, unforgiven? Is it true? Is it true? I have something I'm going to read. I have had a very emotional time reading this over the last couple days. But I'm going to read it anyway. When I felt insecure in my friendships, I went to the Word of God. And this is what he says. And he doesn't just say this to me. He says, I do not call you servants any longer, but I have called you friends. He says, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. My eyes are always on him, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. When I was told I was too much and not enough, My identity, the I am who says who I am, says this about me. That I can boast in my weaknesses because his grace is sufficient. And guess what? My weakness is a sweet spot because that is where his power is going to shine through all the more. He let me know that even before he made the world, guess what? He chose us. He loves us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. In his eyes. That without fault, I bring nothing to that. I am declared that because of his choice, because of his love, because of who he says I am. When I was rejected, he who created me said, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name, and you are mine. And that when I say and do something that brings me shame or regret, and I have plenty of those things, I don't have to stay there because I remember that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And I can rest in knowing that no matter how many mistakes I make, he causes everything, yes, even these things, everything, not some things, to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And for the days when I want to isolate and insulate from others, I remember that he chose me to become like his son. His son who would be a firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We have a huge family. Our family is here. 
We are so chosen, and we do not need to isolate from this family. And when the lies come that we are not enough, I can actually agree with that. I can actually say, yep, I'm not. But guess what the I am says about who we are. His truth says that we are a people holy to the Lord, your God. And out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen us to be his treasured possession. So what is the truth? How are you going to step from insecurity to security? It's not going to be your, your truth. It's not going to be my truth. It's going to be God's. Because who he says we are, guess what? That's who we are. And if we want to walk in security, if we want to move from insecurity to security, we will seek his truth as though our lives depended on it. Because it really does. Our lives really do depend on it. That's all I have tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that I literally don't have to bring a single thing. That I can stand here that we can be here and we can just bask in who you say that we are. Would you show us how to let that truth go deep into us and to renew and make us into a confident, strong, 